0: Happy Valentine's Day and welcome to the disenfranchised podcast where that podcast all about love and also those franchises of one those films that fancy themselves full-fledged franchises before falling flat on their face after the first film. I am your host Stephen Foxworthy and joining me as always uh, a a regular Cupid with a with a quiver full of arrows just for you. It's my co-host Brett Wright. Hi, Brett.
1: Hello, Stephen.
0: How are we doing tonight, sir?
1: Uh, I'm doing all right, man. Love's in the air.
0: It uh, everywhere you look around. Absolutely, exactly. and and of course, who better to join us on this lovely, lovely Valentine's recording uh than uh, one of our very good friends? In fact, he joined us last Valentine's Day to discuss the original 1981 "My Bloody Valentine." He joined us back in August to talk about the 2009 "Friday the 13th" remake. You might know him as the host of the Pod and the Pendulum. Or Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. Either way, we just know him as that miner for a heart of gold. It's our good friend Mike Snooney. And hey, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. Thank you for having me back on. Oh, thank you, as always, for coming on. We are absolutely
2: delighted to have you back, sir. I am thrilled to be back. And
0: really, I'm thrilled to be your guest for this romantic weekend. I mean, it's it's. I think we asked you last time if you had any big plans for Valentine's Day. I so said, do, do you have any big plans for this Valentine's Day? You
2: know... We, I think last time I said anal. You did. Uh, I believe that was what we said. Remember that. I, um, I have purchased the uh, tickets for. I think it's Death on the Nile because my wife is a huge Agatha Christie fan. Oh yeah. So we are gonna do a little bit of that. Nice. Um, you know, have a little little afternoon date, a little dinner. Uh, I am not looking forward to that movie, but the things we do for love, you know, That's right.
0: Um, I mean, and- you don't want to see uh, a movie about a. Uh... Uh, uh, an actual human cannibal? No, no, not... (laughs)
2: You know, and then maybe we'll, you know, mess around with some gender roles later. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Oh, hey,
0: that sounds fun. Have a little fun. Play it by ear. Play it by ear. (laughs) See what happens. So that's what you're into. Okay. A little bit of everything. (laughs) All right. Love it. Truly, you'll love to see it. Uh, And Mike, of course, we have asked you back because it is Valentine's Day. And I think, I think let's just make this a regular thing. Just every Valentine's Day, we have you back. Absolutely. Talk about, uh, well, and and I think the most hilarious thing is that the very first time you came on the show, we talked about My Bloody Valentine, the Mm -hmm. original 1981. The last time we had you on, we talked about a 2009 remake of an 80s horror film with a masked mute slasher. Uh, And so, Brett, what movie have we asked Mike on to talk about this time? We've combined the two and we're going to talk
1: about My Bloody Valentine 3D.
0: Excellent. Yes, t- 2009's My Bloody Valentine 3D, directed by, is it Patrick Lussier or Lucier? I think it's Lucier. I think it's Lucier. Rich. Okay. I, I did see he was Canadian, so I am like, it could go either way. Um, written by uh, Todd Farmer and Zane Smith, based on, of course, the original 1981 film by John Beard and Stephen A. Miller, uh, and starring Jensen Ackles, Jamie King, Kerr Smith, Betsy Rue. Uh, Eddie Geetha Gethe- G- I am so sorry, Eddie. Tom Atkins, Kevin Ty, Megan Boone, and uh, and Todd Farmer's butt. What a cast! What a movie! What uh, a butt! What a what a, what a butt, butt! Honestly, wow, uh, boy howdy, it's it's honestly it's the second best butt in this movie if I'm being really honest. Um, but uh, but yeah, so. Brett, I think this is – so this is the second time we've covered a My Bloody Valentine, but I think it's the first time that we've covered a 3D movie. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So, I mean, typically in terms of horror, it's the third movie in the franchise that gets the 3D treatment, right? Usually, yeah. Jaws 3D, Friday the 13th Part 3, Amityville Horror 3. hmm And then, of course, Rob Zombie had plans to do a Halloween 3D but two didn't do as well as he had hoped. Actually, I think that it was Lucier and Farmer
2: that were going to do okay the, the third Halloween in three D. Like he had stepped away by that point, okay, and these guys were temporarily handed the reins, um, and they were going to do it in three D. Uh, if you read Taking Shape Two, mm. uh, it goes through all like the many many potential uh, third movies in the reboot saga.
0: Is this one of the better um, was that one of the better treatments that you that you read about or was there another one you I were more excited so. for? I
2: think so. I think theirs was actually pretty good. Okay. It
0: would have been intriguing
2: to to say the least.
0: Brett, would you have gone in for a 3D Halloween movie you you being such a big fan of that franchise?
1: Uh not if it's in the rob zombie lineage, I wouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Brett has very strong feelings about the Rob Zombie Halloweens. I hate the first one, and I
2: love. I will defend the second to my dying
0: day. I th- I don't remember if I liked the second one better or worse than the first one. It's been it's been a a couple of years. Since I never I saw it because like. I hated the first one. So maybe I should go watch the second I'd one. Give it a
2: watch. It's very much its own thing. It's not really a Halloween movie, but it's very much a Rob Zombie movie if that makes any sense. Um,
0: I quite. So your mileage may vary, Brett. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, he basically does Halloween two in like the first 10 minutes and then makes it a Mm. dream sequence. Like it's wild. Um, It's, it's really pretty crazy. Um, And then after that, you're just like, well, I don't know what to expect now. It's got a lot more Brad Dourif in it though, which I really Mm. love. So. Mm, All right. Yeah.
2: It's, I will agree. The first, the 2007 Halloween is is hot garbage. I mean, it's really bad. It's like a serial killer by the numbers, you know, like paint by the numbers origin story. And then let's retell, you know how on Netflix you can watch a movie at double speed now if you're a psychopath. It's, <laughs> it's basically the second half of the movie is like that. So but the second the uh, Halloween 2, I actually really surprisingly like really love that movie.
0: Yeah. I, I for me the thing about the first Rob Zombie Halloween is the fact that he he undoes everything that's cool about Michael Myers is the yeah. fact that you don't know anything about him and by by the first half of that movie you're like okay I know too much about this guy yeah. I don't care anymore. Yeah. So. Uh but that's not the movie we're talking about today. We are talking about the 2009 uh Lucier Farmer uh, My Bloody Valentine. So remind me, gentlemen, what were our thoughts and feelings about the first My Bloody Valentine? When was the first time you saw this version of the film? And how did you, uh, How? what was your original um, feelings about this version of the film, Mike? Uh, so the original
2: My Bloody Valentine, I think, is like one of the best examples of like the golden age of slasher movies, mm. uh, especially the restored version where they, you know, cause obviously the original was kind of really edited down by the MPAA. Um, and this one or the restored version has some great kills in it, but it also has like a really great cast uh, or a really good crew of characters mm. um, who you really enjoy following around. And it's a little different than most slashers and then instead of following like horny teenagers you're following like this blue collar crew um of like older gentlemen and ladies that just you know are trying to like have a fun night out in a really dreary kind of town uh and it's great for that reason i mean it the only movie that has a half man, half walrus, uh, you know, that I've ever seen. We we uh, are all three on records as Team Hollis. So we are so Team Hollis. Absolutely. So I love the original, uh, mm. My Bloody Valentine. Uh, do you want my thoughts on like overall thoughts on this one or?
0: Well, maybe I mean, your, maybe your initial like when did you first see sure. this one? What were your initial thoughts on it?
2: You know, I think I just like purchased it on like, a you know, hey, the Blu-ray is seven bucks. Why not? Um, Or I might have picked it up like used for like three bucks at the shop down like oh yeah I'll definitely watch this at some point for whatever reason I didn't catch it in theaters and I'm not sure why Hmm. Um, I was a big fan of supernatural at the time. Uh, so it was kind of interesting that you know this movie and the friday the 13th remake cast the leads of supernatural Mm -hmm. at the time i think they were both looking for like an exit like oh this show is ending now let's transition to our movie career who knew our our horror franchises right who knew a decade later they would be you know still doing that show um and i think the I don't remember much from the first rewatch. I know the second time I watched it, it was family movie night. We thought we'd throw on a fun slasher. And my daughter was probably about eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And I had totally, the thing about this movie is like, we'll talk about it tonight. I will completely forget everything about it by next week. (laughs) Um, So I totally forgot like the full on porn scene that takes place midway through the movie. Um, and we're watching with my daughter like, uh, this is (laughs) fucking weird right now. My wife is there just staring daggers at me. Um, (laughs) so I remember the second time I watched it much better
0: than the first. Sure. And of course, that's, uh, that's some, some awkward energy there to kind of really awkward energy. Hopefully this time was not as awkward for you. Not quite as bad. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, Brett, what about you remind us of, uh, what were your thoughts and feelings on, uh, the original and, uh, when, when, what was your first exposure to this and what were your initial thoughts?
1: Uh, well, I, well, I love the original, uh, saw it for the first time for this podcast, loved it. Mm-hmm. Bought the steel book that day you, while we were recording, as I recall. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. Uh, but since I had never seen the original, I never saw the remake. I was mm. not interested in the remake because I'd never seen the original. And I don't know. This was also in that dead time for movies for me where I wasn't watching a whole lot of movies. So I wasn't gotcha. like going to the movies a lot or watching a whole lot of movies. So, um, you know, nowadays I might have just gone to see this just because, hey, it's a horror movie. I'll go see it. Right. Um, so this, honestly, this, again, this was my first time seeing the remake.
0: Okay. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say hard same to just about everything that Brett said, uh, except I didn't buy the steel book uh, when while we were recording. I actually have not gotten it yet. I need to. It's on my list. i um, one of these days. I'm just gonna bite the bullet and buy that sucker because um, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed the the original um, team Hollis and Patty. Uh, the fact that they they both get killed off in that movie, I think, is is one of the biggest tragedies and maybe the closest I've ever come to crying at a horror movie. Agreed. Um, and particularly because Patty is. So fucking close so close to so making close it. to making it out um like re, like she's the last kill of the movie and it just oh it breaks my heart every damn time um and so i was excited about this one uh and also because of the tom atkins of it all and of course we have just we back in december watched night of the creeps for this podcast at the behest of our mutual friend brian kuiper um who came on that episode and uh i think brett and i both just had a renewed appreciation for tom atkins at that point point. and so when i'm like oh tom atkins is in this movie and he's playing a cop yes please sign me up and uh not one it's miller time in this movie and uh, i'm not gonna lie i was a little bummed about that not, it's not a single thrill
1: me not either. A, not
0: a thrill me um yeah, I just i i was i was a little bummed he was not quite as quippy because without i mean it's basically the same character just without the quips really. It you know what it felt like because this was oh mm-hmm. nine.
2: It felt like that was the beginning of the Tom Atkins Renaissance a bit. Like it feels like that was around the time people started to make the no Halloween three is good actually. Yeah. Um, Noise, you know. Now it's like, yes, folks, you don't have to say every Halloween season. Actually, Halloween three is good. Like we know at this point, like it's okay. We know real it's, ones know, guys. We, we, okay. we know. But it felt like that was around the time that like people started to like reappreciate Tom Atkins as a performer, especially in these genre movies. And you know, I think him getting cast in this was like not didn't kickstart that, but it was kind of like that nebulous
0: like oh yeah we like this guy checking his imdb page this is his like first film in f- or first appearance mm-hmm. in anything in 5 years his yeah. first film since 2002 mm-hmm. uh, and then he does three movies in 2009 it's it's this it's Shannon's Rainbow and it's a movie called Trapped where yep. he plays he plays uh, he plays Captain Martin in Shannon's Rainbow and uh, Detective Abbott in Trapped so i think mm-hmm. he's fully in like Tom Hot Atkins coming in to be a cop in this movie yeah. mode, which I, I'm i probably going to have to watch all those movies. He's then, uh, Lucier and, and Farmer use him again in Drive Angry. Um, and from what I understand, he really wanted to do uh, the sequel to this movie. Like, he really wanted to do a sequel. In fact, he was the one coming up to them and saying, uh, you know, I I could survive with a prosthetic jaw, right? I, I could be in the sequel. You guys are going to put have me in the twin. sequel, right?
2: <laughs> and I feel like Atkins plays a lot of cops, and you could adapt the acronym like ACAB to a ACABIA, which are like all cops are bastard except
0: Atkins. Yeah, you know, you I go. think
2: that should be a slogan.
0: I, I'm, I, in fact, he should play Detective ACABIA in in some movie. Oh, that would be amazing! Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That'd be fantastic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But, uh but yeah, no, I mean, so we we kind of had a a mutual appreciation for Atkins, and I, I. I felt like this movie needed more Atkins. Like I was a little bummed that he didn't get uh, as much screen time as, uh, as really as the sheriff in the original film. Yeah. They the fact that they make Axel the sheriff, I think, is um, a little bit of a cop out. I was I was uh, no pun intended, uh, but I was uh, <laughs> uh, but I was I was a little bummed at that. I was kind of like, oh, I I really just want like kind of an old like hard drinking but still the sheriff Tom Atkins behind the desk yeah. here. Pretty boy, Care Smith isn't doing it for you. No, no. In fact, I don't. I've no. Don't think I've seen Care Smith in literally anything but this movie. I could oh, be wrong about that, but you're I got a Dawson's Creek fan. I'm not. No, he was. Yeah, Dawson's Creek, the first Final
2: Destination. Okay, I have yeah, seen the first Final the Destination. First Final uh, yeah, that's where I basically he is famous for playing like characters that I can't fucking stand um, in pretty much everything he's ever done. So. Okay, well, then he's he's per,
0: certainly perfect for Axel in this movie. absolutely. <laughs> well, we're we're starting to get into it. And so before we get too much further into it, I do want to uh, put put a put a quick pause on things and talk about the plot of the remake of My Bloody Valentine because it is a very different movie and we are gonna get into it. Don't worry. But before we do that, we do need to talk about the plot. And Mike as our guest, you have, So graciously agreed to recount the plot of this movie in 60 seconds or less. Are you going to give me the go? I I will. I'm putting 60 seconds on the clock right now. I am. I am ready when you are. We get voiceover and uh, 3D
2: headlines, headlines in 3D. There's been an explosion that was caused by a young Jensen Ackles, and it trapped Harry Warden, who killed everyone so he could save the air, but he's in a coma. He wakes from the coma in the hospital. Bloody mayhem ensues. He goes back to the mines. He kills even more people. He's shot dead by Detective Burke, years pass. Uh, Jensen Eccles as Tom Hanniger is back in town to sell the mine. More death ensues as Harry Warden 30 back. seconds. Is Tom Hanniger absolutely crazy? They're fighting over Jamie King, uh, which who can blame them? Uh, Care Smith is cheating on Jamie King with a hot little number in the grocery store. Bad move. Uh... John Locke's dad from Lost gets killed. He's a rich dude. Tom Atkins gets killed. We end up back in the mines. Who is it? Oh, Tom Hanneker is actually crazy and the new Harry Warden, and
0: he escapes. All right, and that is time. Well done, sir. That was... Summed it up right on the nugget too. Perfect. Well sums done. Summed it up, I think,
2: pretty well. Did I miss anything there? You know.
0: No, I mean, because here is really. the thing: it's it's pretty. It's a pretty straightforward slasher in a lot of ways. I think the only thing that you missed is um, uh, is boobie, is boobie, naked boobie, best friend. Yeah, but <laughs> that's true. Uh, other than that, I think you're you're right on the money. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, that is one of the big headlines of this movie is the fact that Betsy Rue is um stark fucking naked for yeah. almost her entire screen time in this mm-hmm. movie yes like why yeah, she I is. was not expecting I, I, I knew you had mentioned I think on the last the last time you were here that there was full frontal nudity in this so I was expecting like I don't know a quick flash or something mm-hmm. no nope. no no she's just like for a good five minutes is just completely naked Yeah, no. she is uh, which is wild was not Impressive. expecting that And, of course, uh, her introduction scene outside of the, you know, the Harry Warden death day is the fact that, uh, I mean, she's pretty much naked from that point on, but she's uh, literally having uh, loud, angry – not angry, but but loud, boisterous monkey sex with the co-writer of this movie, Todd Farmer. Mm -hmm.
2: I think Farmer does that a couple times in movies he writes, or he kind of like – Writes himself in to be with, like, hot, naked people. I mean,
0: nice work if you
2: can get you know, it, honestly. I know, like, think the movie really needs it. You know, I think, <laughs> it, you know, it just
0: <laughs> brings everything together. It ties it all. Right. What this movie really needs is me being naked with really attractive people. I yeah. Think that's what That's, that's really is necessary. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know Stop if you guys
1: – Settle down, Joss. <laughs>
0: I don't know if you guys stuck around to the end of the credits, but they're in, in the special thanks. They do thank Todd Farmer's wife, quote, for letting Todd get naked. Oh,
2: that's sweet. That's very right.
1: <laughs> adorable.
2: Very sweet and adorable. Um, it was but, she, like, uh, if I have to see him naked, the rest of you have to suffer, too. Yeah, that that butt all the time. That butt. He's a handsome dude.
0: He is. He is not he's very handsome. He is a handsome uh, man. Yeah. And and he's he's got a you know the the bald head look which I of mm-hmm. course am oh it's always nice to see attractive mm-hmm. people without hair, yep. um so yeah this is is nice I, I wish I were half that attractive but you know begging begging and choosing I don't know there's something to be said about that I don't know what it is, um so uh, obviously a very very different film than the original uh, Mike you kind of I think really summed it up pretty well early on when you were talking about all the things that we. Kind of love and appreciate about the original, um, My Bloody Valentine. This movie does things very mm, differently. Yeah. It's very much in that kind of what we talked about last time—that late two thousands. Let's remake every horror movie. Um, kind of season. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I I don't know. For, what do we think about the beginning? Actually, seeing the Harry Warden massacre. Uh, what What do we? What do we make of that? What what are our, what are our thoughts there? Because I think that's immediately the first big difference of the movie is the fact that you actually see Harry Warden's, like, killing spree. Mm-hmm.
2: I don't mind it. Um, I don't mind having that, you know, that hook to get you right in to the movie. Um, I actually would have liked to have seen the hospital killing spree because that looks like such a fucking massacre. I mean, like that one – there are bodies like strewn up and down the hallway. Mm -hmm. And I like, I think I would have liked to have seen that in the beginning of the movie um, rather than just have it, you know, uh, shown the aftermath of it. Um, But, you know, you're coming for a slasher movie. So you kind of want to see slasher deaths. Um, I think the thing that it's kind of, it's, we're heavy in the era of, cgi at this point so you know and the cgi is very glaring in this movie um and to the point of like distraction
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the i'm and and a lot of the killings early on in particular but but even a few in the end like when you get into uh anything that involves blood spatter coming at the camera Mm -hmm. you can the cgi is obvious uh atkins's death scene Very, very out of place CGI as that Mm -hmm. disembodied jaw comes flying at the screen. Um, The the eye popping out of was it Jason's head? Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, the the two teens at the beginning of the movie named Michael and Jason after Mrs. Voorhees Mm -hmm. and Myers, respectively. Um, But uh, the eyeball, the I think someone I read somewhere that was an homage to Friday, the 13th, part three. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, Which I, mean, I was like
2: thinking that, like thinking of the death in part three and how, I mean, obviously when you watch it now, like there are limitations to practical in the models, mm-hmm. um, but it's still to me, it's a tangible thing
0: and it it holds up better than this does. I and I I and I know mm, words are hard. I know I've said it on this podcast before, but for me, practical effects will always be preferable to the digital ones yeah. because the digital ones age much more poorly. They do. There's still there's still a believability of that is something in the room with them that just is not there with even the best computer effects after five to ten years
1: mm-hmm. with, that, with that being said though i I thought the 3d in this movie was pretty good i didn't I, I couldn't watch it in 3d obviously but right you could see where it was supposed to be and it mm-hmm. seemed like it would have been pretty cool
0: uh, compared to something like I, I know mike you're you're fond of this movie but final destination 4 where those 3d mm-hmm. effects look really out of place and kind of shoehorned in mm-hmm. compared to this where it all seems pretty organic uh, to the storytelling and and intentional yeah. on the part of the filmmakers which is nice to see
2: yeah i could see this being a lot of fun to watch in 3d it is a fun slasher movie um and the way you can see the very obvious times where they're setting up 3d like the pickaxe coming out or smashing one's hand into the mirror mm-hmm.
0: um but it's done in a way where you're like okay that could work the tree branch going through the entire car at the end. And I mean, so many pickaxes flying directly at camera in this movie, like so many. Yep. Um, Just, I, I, you know, I think there's gotta be, if there's a Guinness record for most pickaxes thrown toward camera, it's gotta be Mm -hmm. this movie. (laughs) I do love the look of
2: Harry Warden in this movie. I mean, he is large Mm-hmm. And menacing, I still think that the my bloody Valentine like slasher gear looks really fantastic. Like it's a great iconic look. The pickaxe as your main weapon is different enough from your typical slasher where it stands out, but it still makes sense as a practical weapon. Um, and I really like I think that there's a real, Menace to the look of of Warden in this movie, or is it Warden? You know, as it were, um mm-hmm. and that's why, like, I don't mind seeing him so much in the beginning of
0: the movie. I I do love the the minor as 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 a slasher. I think there is something really original and un, and because obviously because we didn't get sequels to either of these there's something really untapped about the potential of of a character that looks like that. He's got like the the slow raspy Darth Vader breathing, but on top of that he's got this, you know, big ass pickaxe, his face is completely obscured. Um he's got the light on his helmet that kind of illuminates uh everything in front like you can kind of see him coming, which is adds to the tension a little bit. Like there's there's a lot of I think untapped potential in the character that does not get fleshed out, I think, as fully as it could in just mm-hmm. these two movies. And I it makes me want sequels to to both of these films that the, the sequels that we never got. And at this point, probably never will. Yeah. Brett, yeah, thoughts on the minor.
1: It, it's a shame that he doesn't get as much respect as all the other big slasher names. He never gets included in the conversation ever.
0: Well, he never got a chance to be a big name, unfortunately. I think it's ultimately what the end of the day, what it comes down to. But his
1: look is iconic enough that I think he should have been,
0: despite
2: not, you know. He's also not the killer in either of the movies, too. So it's hard to have him. He's a MacGuffin. He's kind of like a. Right. And I, I, you know, I think uh, that's part of it, too. Like it's a really cool look and one that you could. You know, kind of like how with the Scream movies, there's always someone different under the ghost face outfit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like you could have a multitude of killers wearing this, you know, in sequels, it doesn't always have to be the same
0: character, you know, right? Uh, and Which, I think it should I mean, really they, work from what I read. There, that was something they were at least teasing that they might have explored in the sequel had mm-hmm. they gotten a chance to make one. And we'll talk yeah. a little later on about why they didn't get a chance to mm-hmm. make it. Um, because they certainly wanted to. Yeah. Boy, howdy.
1: Well, so we're, we're kind of sort of dancing around the topic a little bit. I, Mike, I think you might know a lot about this. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel in this movie about like the implied, maybe like the dissociative identity disorder of it all? Sure.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, you're getting like schizophrenia. You're getting dissociative identity disorder
0: here. So are we allowed to spoil the movie at this point? I, I, here's the, we never put spoiler warnings. I mean, you, you you gave the plot. So at this point, they know how it ends. So I think like the biggest difference between, well, not even a difference. I think both
2: my Bloody Valentine movies are set up as whodunit movies. Like you're Mm -hmm. meant to wonder who it is, like under, you know, like, is it Harry Warden? And I remember in the first movie, like about two thirds of the way through, they're like, it's not Harry Warden. Like he's actually, he's dead. Um, in this movie, you kind of know that it's not him and you're meant to think it's it's really led to believe it's Axel, uh, the the younger sheriff. Um, but the spoiler is it's Jensen Eccles, Tom Hanninger, the gentleman who comes back to town to sell his father's mines off. He's the uh, he's the killer. And the problem with that is you have at least one extended scene with him interacting with the killer. um to such a degree that he's like thrown in a cage and locked into it like so you're kind of like okay he it must and again like i've seen this movie three times and even today i'm like oh yeah i forget that it's him Mm. um that's how much i remember this movie despite seeing it a few times um and it's a cheat you know it kind of i hate when movies do that i hate the fact that it's like it's trying to be like, you know, it's trying to fool its audience. Like, I I really don't like that. So um, also like the way this would, you know, not in a really accurate depiction of dissociative identity disorder. And I don't hold horror movies to the, you know, some of it's for listeners. I'm a practicing uh, clinician and therapist and I work with, uh, persons across who, who suffer from a number of debilitating mental illnesses. I've done treated schizophrenic patients, which is, you know, can be a lot. I've treated folks with dissociative identity disorder. which can be really difficult. This doesn't really accurately represent it, but I never really hold lighthearted horror movies that aren't necessarily trying to make a statement about mental illness. I don't hold their feet to the flames for that. Uh, I I do hold your feet to the flames and that like it really cheats in terms of you could have done this and had the reveal of it being Tom without cheating the audience that has put up for the previous 90 minutes. That's my other biggest complaint about this movie is it comes in an hour and 41 minutes like it is a long movie. You could have easily trimmed 11 or 12 minutes and got under that 90 minute window like this does not need to be an hour and 41 minutes long.
0: No, just just keep all the Atkins stuff in. In fact, you can cut even more of the the Love Triangle stuff and put oh, yeah. more, more of the Atkins stuff that you cut mm-hmm. earlier back in. Just put that back in the movie. Just make this an Atkins movie. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, I I I completely I, – I was legitimately watching this today for the first time thinking, in the year of our Lord 2009, are we really doing a – it was the person in his head the whole time mm-hmm. plot – and not putting any kind of an interesting spin on it, like spoilers for a movie that came out last year, Malignant. Mm-hmm. Like Malignant at least has an interesting spin on that whole concept and idea and has a lot of fun with it. And so that's why I don't mind it in something like Malignant, which is just balls out goofy. Whereas like this, I think I had probably read a plot synopsis and, and Eccles is the biggest name. So I'm like, he's, he's probably the killer, right? So I was expecting – and then he gets thrown in the cage and, like, has that scene where he's literally staring the miner in the face. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't – wait, what? what is going on here? Yes, so,
1: see, so here's the thing. I also did – I read that too. I knew he was the killer going into this movie. Um, so I'm watching it with that in mind. Mm-hmm. And that scene isn't so bad when you think about, like, they – they're like mirrors of one another. Like they, they get up exactly the same way. They look at each other exactly the same way. They're
0: leaned in literally at the same angle, head tilted. Like yeah. it, it's a perfect it's a perfect ninety degree mirror. If I you
1: go, if you go back and watch this movie knowing he's the killer, maybe it's a little bit better. But I, mean, I don't know, Mike. Apparently not. Uh, but <laughs> uh, to me, it seems like it's done a little bit better. I honestly, I will say, I loved at the end of the movie when he's smashing the lights and it flashes to him as the yeah. really quick each time. That was really fucking cool. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I, yeah, I thought it was fine. It's, and
2: he's fine in that role. Like if you just gave him that role, like he's fine as that when he is playing the baddie at the end to the degree, like I, and maybe it's cause I like Jensen Eccles as a performer a lot. Um, I kind of, when he's fighting with Care Smith, like I'm rooting for him, not Care Smith. Like, I'm like, yeah, kill the motherfucker. And it's not necessarily just because I don't like Care Smith as a performer. It's just that, like, I like Jensen Ackles that much. And I feel a little bit for the character. So I'm like, you know, and I think also like the sheriff in this movie you see that he's kind of a he's a jerk, you know, throughout the whole movie.
0: So the movie does a very good job of making you hate him almost immediately.
1: Mm-hmm. And then and then making you like Jensen Ackle's character because he clearly yeah. has PTSD from surviving the original attack. He's taking mm-hmm. medication and like you feel sorry for him.
0: Mm-hmm. Like he wants to get rid of this mind to kind of distance himself. Like you get the feeling like he's doing it everyone's like you're not thinking about the people of this town i'm like you know he's clearly thinking about his own mental well-being at this point yeah. like he's clearly got to do something for himself like this has been something that has literally haunted him for the last 10 years and he's got to get out from under it so i don't blame him i mean yes it sucks for every individual in that town that kind of mm-hmm. thrives on on this mine but by the same token like he's got to do what's best for himself now he no. probably could have sold it to the people in the town might have been a better option but again i'm i'm not writing this movie there's got to no. be conflict right so right to your
2: point Stephen, i would have much rather have followed like tom atkins Burke around mm-hmm. and kevin teague's ben foley around like they are clearly having a great time in this movie like oh, yeah. uh kevin teague when he's Uh, his death scene where he is like stumbling around this giant house with like a shotgun over
0: his shoulder, like drunk off his gourd,
2: fairly tipsy. Um, having like so much fun, you know And I do like that. You get like some older performers in this. And, you know, he was someone at the time I would have recognized from lost. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was like really fun to watch them. I much would have rather have like, have watched a movie of the townsfolk um and instead i mean the first movie has a love triangle as well uh and yes it is central to the plot of the movie but it doesn't come at the expense of all the other characters and what felt like in the remake is like aside from your three leads you don't really get to know any of the other characters in this movie or why the mines are so important or what the town is like and to be quite honest like All three of the leads are like super bland. Um, Like Jamie King is Sarah Palmer. Like her greatest trait is that what she stays with her husband that she clearly knows is like cheating on her. Yeah. Uh, With her like employee. Right. Like, yay. Like
0: that's a good thing, (laughs) I guess, you know, like, and you know, it it feels at the beginning, like they're, you're, they're setting you up to hate um, Axel Mm-hmm. and get it his name has the word axe in it and the miner's weapon is a pick axe clearly it's that guy um, wasn't that his name in the original too? it, it was but again it was also
1: the killer the he
0: was the killer in the original yep. too yeah so it fits it all it all comes back um, but I mean you find out early that um, Axel is cheating on Sarah so you think okay well then she's completely justified in running off with Tom then when he comes back to town because her husband is a cheating POS um, and then he's like watching the, he's watching the evidence tape uh, from that, that, that Todd Farmer's character had filmed mm-hmm. him having sex with Irene. Um, and he's clearly like, like watching it at three in the morning in right. his room. Like, right away from his wife and you hear her moaning and screaming as Sarah comes in to check on him. Like, you know what he's doing. And then it just happens mm-hmm. to pause it at a time when Tom's walking by the window. So, Oh, I've been working this whole time. Honey. Yeah, it's like, I have to work right now. It's like, a, it's like a
2: giant bottle of Jergens, Part of like the police. <laughs> you know?
0: What's up with all these wadded tissues? I know. Um, Why do you have a sock in your hand? You're wearing two. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's
2: just you can't really latch on to any of them. Like, even like you know, in the first movie, you're kind of like rooting for the characters to kind of resolve their conflict to get back together. Like, right? There's a some real feel. It's not the best acted movie ever, but there's enough there where you really are rooting for them. And in this movie, like Jamie King and Jensen Ackles, they don't really have any real chemistry together. Mm-mm. You know, there's never a moment like, oh man, I hope these two kids work it out.
0: Yeah, I I'm the, for I and honestly I think most of the issues that I think I have with this movie do stem from the script. Like the dialogue doesn't seem to be terribly compelling. The characterizations are paper thin even for your leads. I mean, we were talking earlier joking around about how we were Team Hollis and how much we were sad that Patty didn't make it. I mean, those are secondary characters in that movie yeah. at best. And yet they're some of our favorite characters. Why? Because they are, they're characters. They're well-drawn. They're well-written. Um, not, again, not particularly well-acted per se, but memorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's like,
1: why I love the original so much. That's right. the reason I love the original so
0: much. And these characters are, I mean, they they fall into archetypal tropes. Like it's very, everything's done by shorthand. So you can get the, the gore and the kills in, mm-hmm. um, which is fine if if that's all you're here for, but i i want good i want a good story i want characters i want motivation i want you know good performances i i love Jamie King in most things i i was having a really tough time with her in this movie like every every word out of her mouth really seemed uh, like there wasn't much mm-hmm. behind it in terms of motivation and emotion. If you maybe gave, I'm being unfair, but... Yeah. If you gave
2: us a moment, where, like the supermarket scene, where she clearly knows that Megan is, like, cheating on her husband, uh, uh, cheating with her husband. If you gave me a moment where they're running away from, you know, Harry Warden, and she's like, you know what, and grabs her and just throws her at Harry Warden and then makes her escape. and I mean, mm-hmm. And it was just like, this is for fucking my husband, and then runs away. I would have been like... Give me that, and I'm not typically that into that mean spiritedness. But there, it's so wonderbred in this movie. It's such a bland
0: character mm-hmm. that I would have been like, "Give me something of an edge." Exactly, like it's it's something as opposed to what this movie is, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it gives us nothing for her. Yeah, like she's she's barely a character. All of these characters are barely characters. Um, they're just held together by like spit and mm-hmm. sheer will sheer yeah. sheer will excuse me it seems like yeah i think what you have here is a
2: vehicle to show off 3d effects That's and it. some pretty fun kills and you know some like fun sex scenes you get like the the what you need for like a a, sla- a basic slasher movie mm-hmm. um without really anything else to go with it. And you get moments like there's like the callback to the uh, scene in the original where the uniforms drop down and it's a really creepy scene. There's Mm -hmm. a callback to like the laundromat scene. Um, That was kind of cool. I did kind of like that. Yeah. It's not as egregious as say like the Elm Street remake where every time those callbacks happen, I wonder why I'm just not watching Wes Craven's movie instead. Um, And they're pretty well done here. Like they're, you know, for all the negativity about this movie I've spouted so far, it is a fun movie to watch. Like it is, you know, for this kind of like late period, two thousands remake of which there are a lot of really bad ones. Mm-hmm. This is one of the more entertaining ones to watch.
1: Yeah. Cause I, I, when he kills the maid as she's doing laundry, I'm giddy, going. Oh, they're going to do it. They're going to do it, aren't they? Oh, they're going to do it, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> then I immediately know when she opens the door of the, the dryer, she's going to pop out just like mm-hmm. in the original, and I was happy. It was it was fun. It was fantastic. I,
0: rem- I remember us making a comment on on our original uh, M- M- MBV episode. I cannot string words the other tonight, guys. I am so sorry. Um, on our original MBV episode about how hot the dryers at a laundromat actually get. Uh, this is yep. a home dryer. Like it, it's not getting that hot. So the fact that she comes out absolutely scalding, he he had to do something to her before that. But uh, <laughs> I know. Again, you 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 got you back, have to turn your brain off. And these are back, call
1: back man. You're
0: nitpicking. Touche. <laughs> again, yeah. We need
2: the we need the folks. What's that show where they do the disprove everything fun in the name of science? Oh, uh, MythBusters! Yes, we need them to come in and be like, "We're gonna throw this old woman into a commercial grade dryer
0: and see if we can recreate the iconic kill." <laughs> see, these days, because the MythBusters stopped doing what they're doing nowadays, it would just be Neil deGrasse Tyson on Twitter going, yes. "Actually, the human body." Da da da, and everyone's like, "Shut up, Neil Shut deGrasse up, Tyson."
2: Grass, yes. <laughs>
0: Remember when when he was like cool and like fun and then mm-hmm. he then he got a Twitter account and started talking about movies and everyone was like, oh, shut oh, up. This guy. Everybody, everybody but James Cameron. James Cameron's like, what? The stars weren't right. You say tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and then re-edits Titanic so that the sky would have looked exactly as it would have looked the night the Titanic went down. The one part of that movie he didn't research obsessively, mm-hmm. apparently. Um but yeah, no, it I it's a good thing I think that Neil deGrasse Tyson never saw this movie is all I'll say because I'm sure he'd have some words about mm-hmm. a few things in this movie, or he saw it. and It's like there's just too much here. <laughs> it's just there's only so many characters I can type in Twitter. It's it's gonna be fine. No, it's gonna be all right. I don't I don't need to touch this one. Um, despite the fact that this movie actually was pretty popular when it came out, we'll, we'll oh, talk yeah. box office here shortly. Now, Brett, I know you are a big supernatural fan so um or you know, more more so than me i guess i'll say of the two of us you are the supernatural fan of this podcast
1: sure yeah do i own a replica of the cult yes i do
0: so yeah <laughs> well i think that's really all the evidence we need you're a supernatural <laughs> yeah. fan one would say put yes yeah but you know doing the wishy-washy I thing mean, with your hand
1: like maybe past season seven I'm not.
0: You got further than I did,
1: man. 7, 8 or 9. I don't know when I stopped watching it. It was far, but yeah.
0: Um so I I read uh some comments online how um a lot of people couldn't get the fact that he was dean out of their head while watching this movie. Um like did you have like some did you have any sort of compulsion along that line to be like is this just kind of a weird were you expecting uh Jared Padalecki to show up at any point during this movie?
1: I had a harder time getting Dean out of my head for this movie than I did getting Sam out of my head for Friday the 13th.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, I don't know. Just Dean is a more, I don't know, just more I, powerful, powerful character, like more characterized, more presence. More presence. Yeah. Well, it feels like
2: Jensen Eccles has kind of won speed as a performer. Like it's a very Dean like performance in this you know, the same kind of like throaty delivery and mm. overly, like everything is delivered with like a maximum level of seriousness. Um, and I feel like it's a very
0: like Dean type of role and i mean he even wears a really like the jacket that he wears is similar to the one that dean Mm -hmm. wears so like it's very it's almost like they're wanting intentionally to kind of draw your attention to like Mm -hmm. the kind of character just so if nothing else again as a way of tricking the audience right this is dean dean can't be your villain dean can't be your killer he's dean
1: well i remember around 2009 um the supernatural fandom doing fan fiction Jumping through hoops trying to make these two movies like
0: canon. Canon. They're like this is Dean and Sam doing cases separately from one another, doing Dean and Sam things in other parts of the country at the same time. It is uh, fandom is
2: weird, man. Fandom is really weird.
0: We we have we have shared thoughts on fandom multiple times Um, on this (laughs) podcast.
2: I do, you know, I do find it interesting. It's very much my understanding about Supernatural is that. Is it Eric Kripke, the showrunner of Supernatural? He's like, I have a five season arc in mind. Um, And he had a very clear beginning, middle, and end, and the pathway he wanted to go on. And after five seasons, like that was supposed to be it. And I believe both of these movies came out the year either the year that Supernatural was going to end or a year before it was supposed to originally end. And you could very much understand, like, both uh, Jensen Eccles and Jared Paladek. Is it? I'm trying to think of who. Pad- Padalecki?
0: I think it's yes. Padalecki. Padalecki. I'm going to double check.
2: You could see them taking this, and it's very much like the Sarah Michelle Geller route. Like, before Sarah Michelle Geller exits Buffy the Vampire Slayer, she sets herself up with, like, the grudge. So you set yourself up with, like, a. Low budget horror movie that you know will be profitable. You'll get the headlines of saying that you have clearly have like a hit movie, and then that will set you up for like the trajectory of your next run, whether that's going to be a movie career, whether it's going to be another television show. But like, you're going to get your name out there as someone that can carry something. Um, and you see the Friday the 13th reboot and this movie in this one being the less safe bet i think uh for is sure. something that's going to um set them up but then they just keep doing supernatural for literally another 9 or 10 seasons clearly like my wife has seen every episode and loves it i haven't seen anything aside from bits and pieces here or there past season 5 but my understanding is they're clearly having the time of their lives and could have probably played those
0: characters till they were 60 and been happy to do so. Yeah. And that's certainly the impression that I get. Uh, I, I ended with season five. I was like, this is what the guy had in mind. This is where I'm going to stop. And honestly, toward the end of season five, I was going, okay, can we get on with this? Mm-hmm. Like, What what are we doing here? Um, whereas, I mean, and you know, Brett, you said the show, you know, you stick it out a little longer. There are some, some other stories there that are good worth telling.
1: There's some very high highs and no. some very low lows.
0: Right. No. So, um, you know, if if someone wants to make me a list of the episodes after season five that are worth my time, I'll mm-hmm. I might check them out. No, um,
1: you're, no, you're gonna need too much context to do that.
0: No. All right, well then, forget it. Never mind. Don't waste your time, listener.
1: <laughs> I, um,
2: <laughs> I was like looking into like, do we do for like my wife's birthday? Do I like surprise her with like a supernatural convention because she loves that show? Like, not tell her about it, mm-hmm. just be, like pack a bag. We're going. That she doesn't listen is- to the show, does she? She doesn't listen to anything I do. Are you kidding me? She just drowns me out. (laughs) God love her. I mean, she puts up with a lot of shit. Um, (laughs) It is expensive, man. They like – it was thousands for this thing. Like I thought it would be like a few hundred bucks. It's like, no, it's like 4,000 bucks and you get to like wait in the back of the line and we drip like sweat from a T-shirt they once wore while you wait in line like (laughs) on your bosom. It's crazy. Wow. That sounds wow.
0: wild. Sounds terrible. Wild. <laughs> people go. I mean, I'm sure it's, I, Brett, I'm sure it's someone's idea of a good time. That's, oh, yeah, of
1: course. That do you want to
0: meet that person? <laughs> I don't know. Do you want to wake her up? <laughs> uh, um, I, we won't be getting anal if I wake her up. All <laughs> right. Well, hey, then I, I want to I protect your chances, my friend. <laughs> 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 so we'll, we'll go ahead and, and leave that, uh, leave that alone. Um I want to I want to make sure you're able to get what you need sir. Um let's see we've talked about uh Jamie King, we've we've touched on Kirk Smith. Is there any anything major that we're missing here that that needs to be addressed on uh on my bloody Valentine that I am missing because I am thinking we might be good to come in for a landing unless you guys have something else you want to talk about.
2: Just that like it is In in terms of like the remakes that were done, and it's a fascinating time for horror. Like I love looking at horror in the context of like the time it's delivered. I think we're living through a pretty, you know, pretty high point right now in twenty twenty one. There's a little bit of something out there for everybody. Um, The mid to late aughts were like to me a very bleak time in horror. Um, This came out just like about six months before I started a site and started to write about horror for a decade before moving on to doing the two shows we do. Um, There are a lot of bad remakes from this time period. And I think like the Elm Street remake and Halloween 2 are kind of like two of the nails in the coffin of the remake era. Like after that, it kind of dies down. Um, yeah. and this becomes a victim of that, but I would say like among the remakes that were like, actually, you know, good actually, or fun, actually this, uh, and the Hills have eyes, um, the remakes that weren't necessarily part of like a larger iconic franchise. Um, even if they're not as good as the original films, like they're still entertaining in their own right. Like, yes, the characters are like paper thin in Mm -hmm. this movie but there are still some really fun set pieces like the supermarket scene is really fun uh brett you mentioned like the light bulb scene toward the end of the movie like that's a pretty cool stock and slash sequence it was fun seeing tom atkins uh on screen for the first time in a long time i just wish you wonder how much of the script is okay in order for this to get made these things have to go into it Mm -hmm. um you have to deliver these things versus like how much were they able to get in on their own? Is that why you get like the Tom Atkins, the Kevin T's, um, and having the, the – or
0: the fun parts like because they were able to fight for it or get it in? I think also this movie is – there's a benefit here in the original not being as canonical and yeah. as canonically well-known as mm-hmm. – all those other remakes that were getting mm-hmm. done, right? Because you can you can have a little more fun. You can take some liberties yeah. and people aren't going to be really super precious about it like they would be about a nightmare on Elm Street or a Friday the 13th or a Halloween. Like those fans are very outspoken, very bold, very protective of the thing they love. What what my bloody Valentine fan is honestly, my bloody Valentine fans are happy that there's more of my bloody yeah. bloody Valentine, really. I don't even think
2: that the restored version was out by the time this movie had come out. Like I think people were still living with that kind of butchered mm-hmm. copy, that butchered copy of it, um, or the butchered print of it. Like you couldn't get like all the restored kills yet. So honestly, it's like probably a few years after this remake comes out that the original is like, oh, this one is actually right at the top of like that era of like early 80s slasher movies. Once those are restored, I remember seeing the original My Bloody Valentine and Friday the 13th at a double feature at a cinema in Boston, like a little art house cinema in Harvard square. And a lot of the younger folk, especially at Friday the 13th, kind of like laughing throughout it um, until like the jump scare at the end of Friday the 13th where people lost their shit.
0: Yeah, Um, it's 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 maybe the best scare in that movie. Oh yeah, so
2: it's like not like My Bloody Valentine, the original, as good as it is. If if it's like this canonical piece of cinema, like you can like you can't touch this.
0: It's not Jaws, right? Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I completely agree. And of course, now we're honestly, in terms of the the horror landscape, we're kind of in a very similar place because now it's it's not the the reboot or the remake now it's the, the uh, to use the phrase from scream it's the requel mm-hmm. it's the you know let's kind of reboot and make a sequel out of this all at the same time let's let's scrap every halloween sequel and just start over let's let's do scream again exactly the way we did it the first time but with a completely different cast um let's let's do exactly what we did with halloween but let's apply it to the leprechaun franchise like mm-hmm there's there's a lot of that out going on these days within the last few years and i mean you'll still get maybe your standard kind of reboot remake like the the 2019 child's play um you'll, you'll still get those in there as well kind of the reimaginings but by and large now we're kind of digging up old franchises and trying to breathe new life into them um so we're honestly we're kind of in a similar place except i think this time for the most part i think these are slightly more well received than the, the reboot remake trend of the late odds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that gets done because
2: I think why we see the requels now is we're living in a time of great uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So you're seeing this like thirst for nostalgia. You're looking for things that once brought you comfort uh, and you go back and you seek those things out over. I mean, look, the other show I do half of our episode episodes are what we call comfort horror episodes. Um, because you know we all want that, and I think when you watch like a traditional reboot, you're like, uh, "This isn't mine." Do you know what I mean? And right. and that can that can have an ugly spin to it. See the Ghostbusters remake, which I thought was great, uh, and a lot of children just ruined it. Just they soiled themselves because a lot of man children couldn't handle it. But I can understand like a more mature response being like this just is unfamiliar f- to me and therefore it's not for me
0: right and we we talked kind of about our thoughts on on ghostbusters uh, mm-hmm. the 2016 ghostbusters a little earlier um but i mean and brett and i are of a couple of different minds on that and that's okay and we're of a couple of different minds on afterlife as well which again mm-hmm is fine but that's kind of another one of those legacy sequel kind of things where yeah. you come in and you you dust off the old cast you bring them in for a little bit but everything else is brand new but it's also kind of exactly the same yeah no. like it's safe but still it's 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 new but it's still very safe yeah no. um which again that's kind of the, the the space that we're in and i you're right i think it does have a lot to do with the fact that uh, you know we had a a fascist in the white house for four years that we um, are currently living through uh, a massive global pandemic where hundreds of millions of Americans have died. Um, You know, it, these are, these are very uncertain times and yeah. Who doesn't want the things that made them happy as a child to kind of maybe bring some sense of joy in these, Mm -hmm. these very, very awful times.
1: Yeah. Maybe that's why I liked afterlife so much. Who knows? Maybe, man, and that's okay. Um but it I mean, ruined my child. I haven't seen it,
2: but it's gonna preemptively say it did ruin my childhood.
1: No, if afterlife good. did anything, it's gonna make you remember your childhood yeah. way too hard. Yeah. yeah.
2: And my childhood was pretty terrible, so <laughs> it reminds me of So you I, need I, something I, to ruin your no, childhood. quite <laughs>
0: frankly. I had a, a, a good childhood. I, I I kid. I mean the Proton back the Proton pack gets a hero shot, which is wild to me like mm-hmm. i remember i i said that to brett after we saw the movie we we had thought we had talked about recording a reaction episode shortly after that came out and putting it on patreon and then brett and i talked and brett realized how much i did not like that movie he's like no we're not gonna <laughs> do that we're we're not doing that he put the kibosh on it it's
1: me getting progressively more frustrated the more yeah. he kept talking and i'm
2: just like it's like ghostbusters and everyone is allowed to like what they like exactly but it also is like and not like what they don't like but it is very hard when you love something and the person you want to like talk about it with the most is like eh. yeah like that is a as frustrating
0: an
1: experience as one is one in about a
0: lot yeah <laughs>
1: that's that's really what it was like I, I totally respect steven's opinion about the movie but mm-hmm. like I want to talk to him about it because I loved it. Oh. And he's just like, nah, man, it's yeah. bad. <laughs>
0: I mean, here I would, I would have still talked to you. I was still up to record that episode, but you were like, I, I can't put myself through that. And I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Hey, it's fine, man. I, I still love you. I know you love me. It's all good, man. Um, But I'm, but, but at the end of the day, I mean, my bloody Valentine, I is, if you ask me point blank, is it as good as the, as the original, I'm going to say, absolutely not. And, Here's the thing. I think I dislike about as much of it as I like. So I'm kind of right in the middle on this mm-hmm. one. Um, but again, and again, that's me. Your mileage may vary on something like that. I, I read a lot of reviews that preferred this one to the original. Um, and that's that's okay. Um, but – you know, again, at the end of the day, for me, I want to have, I want to have a good story. I want to have the good characters. Like the effects in this movie are freaking cool. Like the three D effects, I made me wish I could have seen this in a th- in a three D theater. Um, like I, the the setup for the sequel seemed kind of cool. Maybe we can segue into that here in a second. Like there there was a lot to like, but at the end of the day, I'm like, there's there's no characters, there's no story. Jamie King, I don't know what she's doing here. Like she's she's very pretty to look at. I like looking at Jamie King. Uh, I don't really like listening to Jamie King in this movie.
1: There's the segue into the sequel talk. She would have died in the first 10 minutes of the sequel.
0: Correct. Yeah, she, she would. So the original plan was to rush her to the, her and Axel to the hospital. And of course, as we know, Tom gets out of the mine alive, but injured. He goes to the hospital. Um, Martin calls and tries to warn Axel, but he's getting ready to go under the knife. And, um. Tom finds Sarah. She starts running and screaming. Axel throws the doctors off and goes to fight. Uh, Tom, Tom kills Sarah or I'm sorry, Harry kills Sarah. Um, and then uh, Tom takes Rips over her heart out. Rips Rips her, heart out. as, as he has done with just about every female in this movie. Uh, not the males as my, although I think he does do that with, um, with Locke's dad. Um, But uh, doesn't, you know, as he does a lot, rips her heart out. And then, you know, Tom takes over with the bloody pickaxe, the heart in the hand and Sarah on the ground in front of him. Uh, And then he goes off to a mental institution. He's cleared, becomes a hero in a mining accident in Kentucky. Axel sees it on TV and goes with his therapist down there to to try to get to the bottom of it and keep him from killing again.
1: Therapist played by Tom Atkins again. (laughs)
0: Right. By the way.
1: Awesome.
2: I and I would be for that. I would be all for that. I I just want to see Tom Atkins getting work, honestly. At the end of the day, that's all I want. I just want to see Tom Atkins as a therapist. I just feel like Tom Atkins' advice to every client would be just rub
0: some dirt in it, you pussy. Like I honestly (laughs) while he cracks open a beer and a cigarette hanging out of his lips. Oh, I
2: love that. I think you I, got problems. I got bunions the size of your mother's pussy and the
0: you know? Fuck. Fuck, I'm gonna see that so much now.
1: <laughs> Starts every group therapy session with all right guys, throw me.
0: <laughs> Mike, write that movie for us, please. Oh Mr. Atkins, if you're listening, it would be an honor. Yeah. And I and honestly, just let me be an extra in that movie. Yes. Just in a scene with Tom Atkins. Let Tom Atkins like grab me by the collar and scream in my face, please yes. and thank you. That's all I want out of life right there. I could mm-hmm. I could die a happy man at that point. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm so when I, I so there was an article I read in Bloody Disgusting. I'm gonna try to link to it in the show notes for this episode. Um, where uh, Todd Farmer it basically talks about what the sequel would have been. There would have been Harry Warden acolytes in this mental institution, one of which they wanted to be played by Clancy Brown. Um, and they would have, he would have basically gone back to the mental institution and basically they would have been his posse. And so there would have possibly been multiple killers. You not really knowing if Tom is the minor, if someone else is the minor, like there was still that kind of who done it. Element to it um, that the article doesn't go into just because they're like, well, this could get made. At this point, I don't think it's going to. If it does, we'll talk about it and we'll have you back, Mike, obviously, but I don't think it's going to happen. Because every time, so this movie actually was very profitable for Lionsgate. Mm-hmm. They didn't think it was going to be, so they never optioned a sequel. Like they never even had that conversation at the beginning. The studio thought this was going to be a one and done, but as soon as the receipts came in from the movie, like Lucier and Farmer are looking at each other going, this is our saw, like, this is our franchise. We can just ride this for the next several years and just keep coming back to this well. Like this, this can be our, this could be our shot. Uh, and every time they would go to pitch it to the studio, they'd pitch it to the producers on this movie. The producers would love it. They'd say, this is great. Let's do it. And it would never go any further than that. Like there were never any other meetings. There were never any other phone calls. And so it just kind of like, I think. Farmer says there was a rumor that one of the, like, heads of the studio just didn't like horror very much. And so they started leaning into rom-coms like uh, the Twilight series, uh, started leaning very heavily into YA stuff, like the Hunger Games and Twilight. Um, Ender's Game, I think, also. So you start to see kind of a lot of those things uh, kind of cropping up around this time as well, instead of the horror movies that were kind of allowing Lionsgate to get into that position. Just because one of the heads didn't like horror. Farmer's like, that's just what I've heard. I don't know for sure, but for whatever reason, like it just never happened. And at this point I I, I remain hopeful, but you know, this what, business is uncertain. What's crazy
2: is this movie is made for about five million less than Friday the thirteenth, and it does almost thirty million more mm-hmm. than a Jason Voorhees movie. Right. That's wild,
0: yeah.
1: And I, I want to say it's because it doesn't have that legacy name; it doesn't have the stigma mm-hmm. of this long franchise that people are tired of, tired of.
0: Right.
2: Yeah, but the last Friday the Thirteenth movie before two thousand nine, it would have been O three's Freddy versus Jason, which people loved.
0: Right. So and, yeah. I you've think also if, got the Freddy angle there, too. So, I mean, you've got two great franchises mm-hmm. finally come. That was a movie that had been promised since the late 80s, early 90s, too. So
2: Yeah. But I think if you did a Friday the 13th now, now it's been long enough that people – like, very much like Halloween, people would clamor for it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. And I think if you did the Lego sequel thing with – Friday the Thirteenth. Honestly, that could potentially play. Mm -hmm. I think there there could be something to that. But people were excited for the Friday the Thirteenth sequel.
2: I mean, people wanted to see it. I remember going to a a, a press screening of it the week before it opened, and like that when the title card hits after the first fifteen minutes, Mm -hmm. you know, when the title card comes up, like right as Derek Mears is like full on sprinting with the machete over his head, and the title card hits, the audience went nuts for it. So, there's like a lot of revisionist history where, like, oh, no one really liked that movie or, oh, it was terrible. Like, no, man, the people that saw it really, really dug it. I just, you sometimes wonder with some of
0: these legacy characters, like, how big the audience actually is. Well, and particularly when you get like, you get the diehards in right away. Like, the diehards are going to see it opening weekend. And if they like it, they might go back a couple of times. Like, I've heard of people seeing the new Scream, like, five or six times in theaters already you've seen it three i know brett's seen it twice twice. i i want to see it again i just haven't been able to get out Mm -hmm. because i've been moving like it's you know it it's really i want and i also want to watch the other movies first like i Mm -hmm. want to rewatch the entire franchise and then go back because i think that's going to be a worthwhile endeavor but you know you, you hear about these you know the diehards if they love it they go back if they don't maybe they don't um and i and i think as much as people liked it I, you know and i think we talked about this last time too when you were on for friday the 13th the diehards go in first and then it's kind of everybody else it's kind of word of mouth and if the diehards are mm-hmm. like so so on it the word of yep. mouth isn't generally positive and people don't show up yep cuz that dropped like a stone i remember mm-hmm. friday the 13th like lost Like most
2: horror movies lose like 60% of their audience week over week. This lost something like 80 something percent. Like it was a – it plummeted like a stone.
0: Yeah. Whereas this one makes about 100 million worldwide. I mean it makes almost almost as much internationally as it did domestically. It's 51.5 domestic. It's 51.3 international so you're looking at around 102.8 so around 103 million worldwide which in any by any metric is probably you know indicative of a sequel coming i mean particularly mm-hmm. given that the the budget was probably the production budget at least the 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 one that they published was 14 million i mean it does 21 million in its opening weekend opening weekend you've already beat your your production budget it's mm-hmm. it's all profit at that point yeah so i mean yeah, absolutely. Like did it, it open at number one? Where did it open at? It? it did not open at number one. So let me let me actually. I just realized I had the daily pulled up instead of the weekly, the weekend gross. So give me just a second here to get the, the right numbers pulled up here. Um so it opens at number three. Uh it is uh it opens to again about 21 million. It uh number one is one of two movies about um law enforcement inside a shopping center probably the more popular of the two it's paul blart mall cop uh what if there was a mall cop and his name was paul blart uh in number two is the clint eastwood dare i say masterpiece definitely his swan song it's gran Mm -hmm. torino at number two uh was that where he just
2: plays himself like a super racist dude
0: yeah a a super racist crotchety old man who uh somehow against all logic befriends uh, Hispanic uh yeah. youth in his neighborhood. Yeah, I wonder where he kind of drew inspiration from for that. Seems really really hard telling, honestly. Hard...
2: No way to know. <laughs> no, no way to know. Uh I would that say is Paul Blart. It had a line of that movie that literally had me in tears in the theaters.
0: I think I I've it. only seen that movie the one time.
2: Same here. But there's like, it was like oh, peanut butter filling up the cracks of my heart, like something like that, <laughs> where like the delivery was so good that I just like it unexpected that I just lost the plot.
0: Like, I mean, the, that yeah. is that is that is pretty that is pretty relatable content, no. as they say. Yeah. No. Um, in fourth place, it is the notorious B.I.G. Biopic Notorious, appropriately named. Um, that one opens uh, just a little below. And then in fifth place. It's Hotel for Dogs. What if there was a Hotel for Dogs? Uh, rounding out the uh, the top 10, you've got Bride Wars, Defiance, which has risen from 35th place up to 7th. I guess this is the week it releases wide. Uh, the Unborn in 8th place. Uh, the, the scariest movie of 2009, Marley and Me, um, at number 9. And then, in tenth place the uh it's coming up on its big Oscar win it is slum Millionaire. millionaire mm. so. crazy
1: the top ten
0: right you you don't you don't see top tens like that anymore. I feel like I say this all the time, but like there's no way this happens anymore right like
2: it's crazy it's, people used to go to the movies for stuff besides superhero movies and horror movies like that is.
0: I call shenanigans. <laughs> I know. It's, I it don't seems think this really existed. So unlikely. Um, so it opens at number three. Um, and then, so, I mean, not, maybe not the, the best opening, but it seems like the Lionsgate executives, at least to hear Farmer tell it, were, were pleased. One of them said, oh, great, I go to work on Monday. Um, so, you know, like they were at least uh, pleased with how it did. Um, the tomatometer score on this one is a 61%. Uh, so critics at least seem to enjoy it the, cons- the critics consensus, this gory senses assaulting slasher film is an unpretentious, effective mix of old school horror stylings and modern 3D technology, uh, which is, is a pretty fair assessment. Uh, the Metascore is a 51 based on mixture average reviews from 11 critics. And the letterboxed score is a 2.5 out of 5. Mike Snoonian, as our guest, how would you, out of 5 stars, rank My Bloody Valentine? So, in my letterbox, I think I had
2: it as 3.5 stars. I think mm-hmm. I got to revise that down slightly to like a 3 star. Okay. Yeah, you know, I think it's a little bit thin on the characters, um, especially compared to the first but it has enough and it's a like i said about 11 minutes too long um right. but it is entertaining all right i will completely forget everything about it by next week
0: well i guess that just means the next time that you see it you'll be as surprised as you were the last oh, two three times you watched it yeah. so <laughs> brett what about you out of five
1: uh i'm gonna stick with my three and a half okay. uh, it's, it's fun I mean, there's there's a lot to not like, but there's a lot to like, I think Uh, the callbacks to the original, the fun kills, the fun in general uh, and the Tom Atkins of it all.
0: I I do love the Tom Atkins of it all, but unfortunately, that's balanced out by the Jamie King of it all. Mm -hmm. And I'm just I mm. so I'm I am literally just right in the middle on this one. It's a two point five for me. Like, I, I think I like it as much as I dislike it. Um, I don't know if it will hold up as well for me if I, if I decide to rewatch it, but it's, it's just okay for me where I'm sitting right now. Um, I, I neither love nor hate it. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does what it does and it does it. Okay. Like again, it's like you said before, Mike. I think it's a very by the numbers slasher. It's it's ticking all the the boxes that you want to tick for a slasher movie. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, if that's all you want out of this movie, then you're going to be very happy with it. So it's currently streaming on HBO Max. So, uh, you know, if you guys want to give it a watch and let us know what you think about it, you can hit us up at disenfranchepod at gmail.com and just tell us all your thoughts. We want to hear them all. Uh, but before we get too deep into talking about our uh, our socials and stuff, Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about um, the uh, what you guys have coming up on Pod and the Pendulum, what's going on right now on psychoanalysis. Like, Sure. Lay it so, out for
2: us, man. So, Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, is a show I co host with uh, Jen Ferratu from the Losers Club and Laura Undersall, um, two incredible women that are just amazingly intelligent. And like I am in awe of them, and I am in awe of Jen's work ethic. But that's a show that we do where we try to examine horror movies through the lens of mental health, where every month we have a themed topic uh this month we are doing uh dementia and we are exploring two movies we uh, as of, as this is up the taking uh, uh the taking of Deborah Logan will be up or we explore what causes dementia, how it affects a person, and then we examine the movie from that lens, the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with it. And uh, the second movie we'll do this month on dementia will be uh, Relic, the 2020 indie horror movie, where we'll kind of look at like how persons that caretake for people that suffer from Alzheimer's or dementia, how they're affected, as well as some potential treatments that help stave off the 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 effects of an uncurable disease um in between those episodes we have guests on and we do comfort horror episodes where it's basically we just talk about a movie with a guest that we love that brings us comfort and we dive into some of the topics on mental health in there but we they tend to be a little bit lighter usually i mean every now and then someone brings like a really heavy movie and i'm like really like this is your comfort horror episode (laughs) really uh, but we just did like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Katie Reif and, uh, we've done horror express with Rocco for room Morgue. Like hmm. our guests have been like, they under, they've been really understanding the assignment lately. Nice. Uh, so that is uh psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast everywhere you get your podcast from and the pot and the pendulum it's, we're almost at our three year anniversary, um, we are kind of like it's my third kind of uh version of the show as I seem to be able to keep like a co-host for like a year and then they're like <laughs> I've had enough of your bullshit. Um so now we have like a panel of persons that come in and out to join us, but that is a series uh where we cover all franchises and we'll cover one movie in the uh, in a franchise, and then move on to the next one every episode. So we're like 140 episodes at almost. Nice. We're currently doing Child's Play. We, as this goes up, uh, Child's Play two is up. Chewy, oh Stephen, you were up on that
0: episode. <laughs> yep. that um, really, I have not laughed that hard in so long. That was such a fun record.
2: I yeah, I don't drink, but I felt like that episode is what I am like if I have a few pops in me. Um, because it was like, I recently discovered like two young kids that I do counseling for found like we found your podcast and I'm like, Oh shit, you're way too young to be listening (laughs) to me. Don't let your guardians know that I do this show because, I will lose my license.
0: Um, I, t- I told some of my, uh, my employees, um, just mentioned that I had a podcast and they Googled me. And they're yeah. like, is this it? I'm like, I'm not going to talk about it at work. I'm neither going to confirm nor deny that that is in fact me.
2: I have a bunch of coworkers at the school, including one of the assistant principals. It's like you said you had a podcast, Like Googled your name and podcast, dude. It's not that hard. And they're like, <laughs> right. You know, one of them's a patron, which is awesome. Um, oh, that is awesome. So I really, uh, so the pod and the pendulum you can get wherever, again, wherever you get your podcast. Um, I will I, say, Mike,
0: Pod and the Pendulum, my favorite horror podcast.
2: Thank you so much. I think Halloweenies is better at this point.
0: Um that but, that may be true, but I don't listen to them. I listen to you, Pod and Pendulum. So you should definitely listen to them. They're phenomenal. Okay. <laughs> um
2: I really it's a small show, but I'm really proud of it. And I love the work we've done. I love how many we typically have on different guests, and I try to bring on as many voices it's possible that don't look or sound like me because I think that's really important. Um, and I have a lot of fun with the show, but I think that like when it calls for it, I think we can bring some incredible analysis to when the, you know, when you're doing like child's play too, it's not exactly the deepest well to draw from. Sure. But when we hit into some of the classics, I think that we could really bring from like an academic and mental health and sociological and cultural, I think we can hit those things, but still at the same time bring the dick and fart jokes too. So,
0: well, I did, I did your episode when you guys did the Conjuring. I did your mm-hmm. nun episode, and we got we got into We're some deep. we got into some some spiritual lore and stuff in there, which yep. Brett and I had a, like a three hour long conversation about that the other night. Yeah. After very, we had done
1: recording. Very upset. I wasn't able to be on that episode. I was very upset. I love. I'm that sorry, night. man. We got to have you on,
2: Brett. We definitely you got to reach out because I am awful about reaching out. To guests, so
1: particularly if you want to
0: do one of the child's play movies man yeah we Uh, need we need guests
1: are you going to talk about the series i can talk about the series we'll talk we might do that for the patron we'll talk Mm
2: -hmm. um but yeah those are my two shows um i'm very proud of both of them um i love doing them i think podcasting is a way to make tremendous friends and meet a lot of people and i think in the past few years with this pandemic it's forced me to be social,
0: um, which I really appreciate. So, yeah, yeah, and and, and I I just thank you for for letting me be a part of. Uh, I, I I volunteered to be a part of your uh, your. Halloween four script reading. And that was so much fun. And we had a blast. And that and it was just you guys at that point were just a podcast that I listened to. And I was like, hey, I would love to do this thing. And you brought me on. And uh, we've been we've been doing the podcast thing together ever since, which has been a lot of fun.
2: There have been very few people I've said no to. If they want to be a guest, I'll generally listen if they have something. And but I'm also like, sure, dude. Like, what is It's not going to kill me if there's like someone who I don't really know to come on. You know, worst case scenario, they come on and they're like, "Let me tell you why I support Nazis." And then I'm like, "All right, we're going to re- re-record <laughs> this show with a different guest." You cut, know, cut, cut, good, cut. Yeah. Can we maybe not? Thank you so much. So
0: that would be the worst case scenario, but you would just junk it and you would record with someone else, you know? Well, I think I, I speak for everybody in on this on this podcast when I say uh fuck Nazis. So Okay. Yeah. yeah. Does he speak are you like, he doesn't speak for me? How dare you? <laughs> Brett's like, how dare Brett you Brett was starting to get a little offended and then I said fuck Nazis He's like, oh no, okay, I'm good with that. That's cool. that's yeah. fine. Close. It's close. One. <laughs> um to which I, my sister would probably say please don't actually yeah. do that please i was fuck nazis <laughs> i was driving my daughter's
2: friend home from a movie with i just picked them up tonight and i had like one of my mixes on and uh the mr t experiences even hitler had a girlfriend Oh no! Um, came out it was a really fun acoustic pop punk song sure um about, like, why don't I have a girlfriend? And the chorus is even Hitler had a girlfriend.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so... I mean, it's not wrong. Yeah. As my friend Phil, past and future guest Phil Smith would say, there mm-hmm. is a lid for every pot. There is. Um, so. I'm not sure how we got here, but here we are. Um, Mike, it is, as always, a pleasure. If you are not listening to... Um, Pod and the Pendulum and psychoanalysis, you absolutely should be. You really should um, be. They really should be. And and Great. you know what? Be a part of the be a part of their Patreon too. Mm-hmm. Um they've they've got a Patreon. be a part of ours first. But if you got some extra money left over at the end of the month, throw it toward Pod and the Pendulum. These two. They would really appreciate it. And they do really good work. <laughs> Mike, Mike worked very hard on Pod and the Pendulum in particular. So um, I know, I know your co-hosts do a lot of work for psychoanalysis, which they is not to say really you don't do, do wor- any work for that show. But uh, you, you've, you've told me before that you just kind of like have to show up most
2: days. I am in awe of the amount of work that Jen puts in because she, at any given moment, has like thirty creative projects that she is like working on, um, and I am in awe of like how not only how much hard work she puts in but like how good all of it is it's not one of those like i'll do 20 things and do like 19 of them poorly she's like mm. i'll do 20 things and i'll crush them i'm
0: doing well, one I know. it oh i mean <laughs> <laughs> i'm It's that's to be that's honest that's a big damn mood um but, I mean, you know, and i've I've mentioned on the episode that is that dropped for our our patrons today as of the recording of this episode, like just this has kind of been uh, such a great outlet for me and and being able to record the show with one of my best friends and being able to have and meet and get to know and talk with really cool people like yourself, Mike has just been just been so much fun. And I, every conversation that we have on, on one of these is just, I learned so much from you. I learned so much just listening to your show as well. So just thank you so much for, for your time, your energy, your efforts and your friendship. I I appreciate it all, man.
2: Appreciate all of it too. And I really love coming on. I really have loved listening to your show and like listening to like it grow. Um, and I love having you on the pod and the pendulum, as you know, you know, you're going to be a fairly regular guest coming up in the coming months. So, um yeah, I I'm, I'm excited about the
0: prospect. Like I I'm, said, you're my favorite horror podcast. Oh. So if I can come on my favorite horror podcast and talk oh. about literally anything, I'm thrilled. But I will say listen to Halloweenies as well. They are okay. they are amazing. Halloweenies is pretty good. Yeah. I, I did listen to their Scream, uh their Scream Five episode, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of there was a lot of hate for Scream Four that I was kind of like, mm, I don't know. Which is I don't know if I can weird take guys seriously. Because the Scream Four episode, um, there's a lot of love for it like it seemed like they were like well it's not I mean Scream 4 like you don't even need and I'm sitting here going but Scream 4 is great why are yeah. you why are you bad mouthing Scream 4 yeah. stop yeah Uh, And if you want to hear what Brett and I have to say about Scream 4, along with our good friend, Brian Kuyper, you should get over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash disenfranch pod for five bucks a month. You can be a part of what we call our killer tier and get access to unenfranchised, which is our podcast all about franchise killers. And last month we talked with Brian about Scream 4, the movie that effectively killed off the Scream franchise, but not for good, maybe. Because uh, apparently we got news this week that they're doing another Scream. So, yeah, hey. Yeah.
1: Clearly didn't shoot Scream 4 in the head.
0: No, clearly it didn't. Um, but uh, get on over there. There's another tier as well, a lower tier. If you can't afford the 5 bucks. Um, or check out our third $3 tier option there as well. Um, but we've got a lot of great content. We're putting out at least three, sometimes four or five uh, Patreon episodes a month. So th- we've got lots of sweet, sweet content for you there behind that paywall as well. Um, like I said, shoot us an email if you've got something you want to say or a failed franchise starter you want to hear us cover one of these days. Um, our back The back half of the year is is pretty open, so let us know and we can try to squeeze something in there for you. Um, and uh, hey, check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, and Facebook at DisenfranchPod. I am your host, Stephen Foxworthy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at ChewyWalrus, which is why Mike called me Chewy earlier because – that is Manette handle baby has been since high school for good or ill um brett where can we find you on social media Uh, you can find me on twitter letterboxd
1: and instagram at sus underscore warlock
0: all right and that i think is all she wrote about the my bloody valentine 3d movie from 2009 mike thank you so much again for coming on it's always a pleasure to have you Thank you. I really have had a lot of fun. Can't wait to do another romantic horror movie in 2023. We're, we are absolutely going to have you back in 2023, if not sooner. I, mm-hmm. Honestly, we should talk about having you on for our Spookython in October. All right, let's do That it. would be a lot of fun, too. Yeah. So uh, for my very special co-host, Brett Wright, and our very special guest, Mike Snoonian, I am Stephen Foxworthy. And until next time... Quit dragging my heart around.